Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on Satiate today. I'm Sue Van Rees, functional nutritionist, food psychology specialist, author, and founder of Boulder Nutrition here in Boulder, Colorado. I also lead women's wellness and yoga retreats, both locally and internationally. Food has so much power. Power to nourish, to strengthen, and to connect us to one another. That said, it's a true rarity to find a woman today who is at peace with her plate, with how she eats, how she looks, and how she feels in her body. Satiate is here to engage in meaningful conversation about what it really means to have food and body freedom, to show up in life as who you really are, to trust yourself, tracking the intelligent design of your body, and to prosper with embodied self-care in doing so. Satiate offers you functional nutrition and food psychology insights, some of my favorite special guests and experts from all over the world, and some personal insights and anecdotes that can act as salve for your soul. If you love this podcast, I would be so grateful if you head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. That way, you'll be sure to be alerted when new episodes are published and help me spread the word so that other women in need can find their way to this important conversation. Thank you so much for being here today, and I hope you enjoy today's episode of Satiate. I have a very special guest on Satiate today that I'm so excited to share with you. My dear friend of nearly two decades, Dana Saray. Dana is a teacher and facilitator of personal transformation, guiding individuals and teams to greater awareness, resilience, and connection. Her toolbox of transformative practices include relational skills, therapeutic embodiment techniques, earth-based wisdom, and her decades of experience leading groups. She's a senior course leader and director of leadership and facilitator training for Art International, where she educates and trains participants in the skills of authentic relating, emergent leadership, and group facilitation. She is also a relational coach, working with individuals and couples to uncover and heal blind spots, amplify conscious communication, and transform conflict into intimacy and connection. Her passion is to co-create regenerative cultures where humans live in right relationship with self, others, and the whole of life. I really hope you enjoy this very timely conversation about authentic relating with Dana Saray. Thanks for being here. Hi, Dana. I am so glad to have you on Satiate and also just, it's so good to see you. Um, It's always fun to have a friend come on the podcast. So thanks for being here. Yeah, so good to be here, Sue. So good to be here. Ah, well, I was really happy to um, to have this idea that it would be perfect timing to host you on the podcast right around Valentine's Day because obviously there's 
so much that comes with, you know, connection to others and all the things that we do in our lives that are related to relate relating to other people. And I think this month, especially being focused on personal interactions and romantic relationships where some of our um, most challenging conversations might originate. It's really exciting to be able to dive into this work. And I know you've been just immersed traveling around the world and sharing this authentic relating style of communication with people for a good while now. And it, I'm so excited to hear more about it in this, um, in this format. So yeah, I, I hope that we can dive in together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's, it's a great topic for, for Valentine's day for, you know, both those who are in relationship, romantic relationship, also those who aren't in romantic relationship or those who'd like to be, or those who, you know, aren't sure about it. I mean, relating is a topic is, is a, you know, it's something that we all, we all do. And I think it's not something that we were taught how to do well per se. Um, you know, culturally we're not, you know, it's not something we learn in like school. It's not a school subject, you know, emotional intelligence, um, communication, conflict resolution. These aren't things that we really get. I think a lot of training in most of us. So I'm excited to dive in with you too. Yeah. I, I totally just want to underscore that it's, um, having two young people in my life, my two kids that are young adults and going into the world and just knowing that they're sharing space with people and roommates and in new relationships and things like that. It's very interesting to watch how like their communication skills are kind of being called forward in a way too, for the first time in like an adult way. And just the edge that that can bring up for so many different kinds of people. So it's a great topic. And I think we can all benefit from better and deeper communication. Um, so yeah. And also I just want to say that for a lot of us, uh, not feeling like we have the skills around speaking our truth and sharing that with people in our lives in a way that feels graceful and skillful, it causes people a lot of stress and huge. Yeah. It's so this is great. So let's, let's start with like you. I mean, you and I have so much history. We've led many, many retreats together over the years. We've worked together so closely in so many ways. We've like been co-parents practically in our community for our kids as they grew up and all the way through, you know, so many different, so many different phases of parenting. Um, Let's hear a little bit about how you got into this style of teaching authentic relating and why it inspires you. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen me in, in so many chapters of my journey. And for me, um, one of them, which we've shared is the yogic path. And I would say that authentic relating is kind of like the yoga of relationships. You can speak of it kind of like a relational meditative practice in a way. And so for me, the path of yoga and meditation was so centered on me and my learning and my growth and my spiritual path. But I really found myself kind of lacking or, you know, unskillful actually in relating like with others, 
So it's like, I could be on my yoga mat and I could like do my practices and felt pretty good about myself in so many ways. But then I'd come into these really challenging dynamics and situations in my like most intimate relationships, including my, my kiddo who, you know, you know, well, um, to, to have the types of skills I now have in, in communication with authentic relating and see how it's been able to be applied to my kid and see the impact on them. They are a they, them, so they, uh, them. Um, and being able to see how it has actually been absorbed into them and see how they, they now use these types of communication skills. I mean, there's so many ways that this, these practices have impacted my life. Um, yeah, with my kid's dad, which was a very challenging dynamic, being able to have some tools to, it's kind of like you shared before, like really share what's true for me in a way that he could hear. So I think there's like, you know, authentic relating, there's two words. Authenticity is like, what's true for me, but the relational part is just as important. Like, can I actually communicate what's true for me in a way that you can receive and vice versa? And can um, I receive what you are communicating with me, right? So there's both my expression and then there's, you know, receiving your expression. So anyway, that's getting a little, a little bit into the nuts and bolts, but yeah, it, it landed in my life um, several years ago at a time when I, my growth and learning was taking me in this direction. Like it has been the transformational, like so transformational in my own life and in the way that I relate both to myself and to others. Hmm. That's so valuable. Um, I was sitting around the dinner table the other night with three of our four kids, Jason and I's kids, and we were talking about roommates and all the dynamics that goes on in, in houses of people and all of the ways that they've experienced so many roadblocks in communication with some of their roommates and friends and things in their early twenties. And it was just timely, you know, I was saying I was going to have this conversation with you and it just really highlighted that like, this is so needed for even some of the basic elements of our lives, like sharing a house with people in college or with how we communicate with our, you know, primary relationships. And also, especially with the intensity that comes with emotion, whether that be really great emotions that we sort of coin as positive or whether it's with more challenging emotions where we might be needing something or trying to relay what we're going through. I find that that whole spectrum of emotion, you know, especially when those get turned up on a higher volume can be tricky. And when, you know, so I, I'm really hoping that we can share some good practices and some introductory ways to bring this into our lives um, as we go through our time together here on the podcast. And I think a really great place to start is other than the basic interpretation of the two words, authentic relating, like what is, what would you describe authentic relating in this forum that you're using in your work? How would you describe that and how, and how it shows up? Yeah. So authentic relating is a set of practices designed to cultivate nourishing, empowering, trustable, uh, intimate, vulnerable, empowering. Did I say that already? Relationships and connections. 
So it's a practice and it's also an incredible practice that helps us to uncover our relational patterns. So, you know, from our early childhood, right? We have, we've learned ways of relating through our experiences that then come out in um, our adult relationships or, you know, also younger than that, but, you know, they really come out, right? This, these patterns of the ways that we relate. And so sometimes it can be so terrifying when a challenge emerges because it actually feels like it can feel so um, dangerous almost if those wounds from our childhood are activated because we're relational beings. I mean, we're tribal. Our first, when we're born, our first experience is of co-regulation. It's of being tended by our you know, caregivers. We cannot survive on our own. So we are inherently relational beings. Now the psychologist Gabor Mate um, speaks about how there's two socio-emotional needs as children, as humans. One is for belonging and connection, and the other is for authenticity, right? So this, this being ourselves is a really core um, need of ours. However, if being ourselves ha- sacrif- like would risk our belonging, our sense of safety and our sense of connection in our families, then we are going to definitely prioritize the belonging over the authenticity, right? So, so it actually, when we bring this, like to bring our authenticity or the truth, if it risks our belonging, if we were told as kids that certain parts of us weren't okay, you know, um, certain ways that we were weren't okay, right? Then we maybe suppressed those things and then it comes out, right? So there's something I need or want but I'm scared to bring it because I feel like I might lose this primary connection that was so important to me as a child and of course still is in today's world. So authentic relating is really this practice that allows us to get both of those needs met. Our need for authenticity, for full expression of who we are and our need for belonging and connection without sacrificing one or the other. So the practices of authentic relating are designed to support us in knowing how to do that, both within ourselves and with each other. And, you know, they're applicable in every arena where humans relate. Uh, The organization that I um, am a part of the leadership team for, senior course leader for, director of leadership and facilitator training, it's called Art International. And we we, we do these trainings all over the world, as you were saying before. And we have a sister nonprofit, the Realness Project, that takes this work into prisons. Mm. And to see the impact on inmates of this work is, is quite um, touching. And we've also we also have people who take it into like the law firm and take it into hospitals and schools, and you know, it's it's very much applicable. And that's how you know I teach it and what my goals and intentions are is to really have this not be like something that stays in a workshop setting, but actually gets to be immediately and like easily applied into our daily relationships. Definitely. Which is a great segue because obviously like in all those different forums, it can be useful because obviously in the workplace, in a prison, within our own family systems, there's so many different layers that can complicate our, our ways of 
showing up authentically in our ways of relating and our need for belonging, which I love how you framed that because it's really, you know, these primary needs of feeling accepted for who we are and at the same time wanting to show up with our vulnerability if we feel safe, which sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. Um, How would you say that you speak to both where your edges with this, like in your own life, like how has that impacted your ways of showing up authentically and communicating with that little sort of side dish of vulnerability, maybe being able to be authentic within yourself? I would love to hear like an example or something that you've noticed in your own experience with this um, authentic relating being kind of the platform that you're using as your guiding system. Hmm. Yeah. So many, I mean, so many examples I could give. I grew up in a family, you know, from the Midwest, um, really, really kind, good humans, but not very in touch with their emotions. So emotions, and especially like a big range of emotions weren't something that, you know, came naturally in my family, I guess, you know, it was like, um, and so for me, uh, having, and, and even like emotional needs, like feeling that my needs emotionally could be met and I could be touched and I could actually have some, you know, expression there and, and really be contacted wasn't really a big thing for my family. So for me, I developed, you know, it's like kind of, yeah, a, a lesser of a range of my own emotional, you know, um, versatility, I guess. And, and in, in the same way, like kind of not as in touch with my sort of needs of connection, right? Because I feel like we have so many emotional needs, like my, I was so taken care of physically, and, you know, all my needs taken care of in that way, but not so much on that emotional level, you know, so this practice has really supported me to sort of reclaim some of those needs. I mean, one relational pattern that I've really worked, one edge that I've been working and I've really worked is around needs. I think like being in a family like I was, like a lot of self-sufficiency really developed a lot of that and self-reliance so much so that I, I didn't really even understand so much this idea of like needs, you know? Mm. And how it showed up for me actually is that I would experience people in my life that I perceived as needy and they would frustrate me. I'd be like, oh my God, this friend is so needy. Like, you know, and, and it was like, I had disowned my own needs and therefore was seeing, you know, this and like condemning kind of this quality of neediness outside of myself. So it's been a really, that's been one of the relational patterns I've really gotten to work. And so part of that is to really get into touch with my own needs, my emotional needs, and to own them. Like, yeah, of course I have needs for connection, for love, for affection, for being seen, for being valued, appreciated, for someone hearing me, holding me while I cry, you know, whatever. And reclaiming that sense of my own relationship to my needs, you know, what happened, I, that whole thing where I was annoyed at people who I perceived as needy in the world, like disappeared. 
like mm-hmm. I don't have that anymore. Right? Wow. So, so there's this way that, you know, when we disown certain parts of ourselves, we can project that outwards, you know, and that's sort of the filter we see life through. You know, another one that I like to t- talk about sometimes is jealousy, you know, like, um, and this, this kind of goes into our first practice. We have, there's five core principles. And the first one is welcome everything. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that, um, well, what, first and foremost, it's about awareness, noticing whatever it is that we're experiencing in the moment and then turning towards that. So for me, there was a part of me that had disowned jealousy. Like, I'm not a jealous person. There's no way, you know, like I remember talking to a friend and saying something like, you know, I think I was experiencing something that, you know, I could, I could say it was like maybe a little bit like jealousy, but not jealousy. Like definitely it wasn't jealousy. And <laughs> she kind of called me on it and she was like, what's wrong with jealousy? And I got to see that I had disowned this certain part of myself. And in welcoming that part and turning towards it and creating some space to see and feel myself and what emotionally was coming up, the richness of that experience just really led me on such a beautiful process with myself where I got to reclaim some sort of like need and desire for connection, actually. Like that was what was underneath it all. Yeah. Right? So there's this way that we can just sort of you know, deny certain parts of us or certain flavors of our experience because, and in some ways it's like we were told that that wasn't okay. We had some experience of that maybe from childhood or in, in culture and these relational patterns, you know, can really, um, stunt, I would say like our intimate connection with ourselves and each other. And when, in my experience, having sort of started to reclaim some of these big parts of myself I feel more whole there's more room for all of me and you know what happens the magic is that the more that I am able to actually accept and be with and claim and love even these parts of myself the more space and room I have for these parts in you and in others if I'm not, you know, if I'm not like, I'm not in relationship with my own self, I won't have capacity to hold or be with these types of parts in others. That's so beautiful. I was actually thinking about that as you were talking. So what I'm hearing from you is that not only are you learning how to be more authentic in your relationships with others and to have deeper connections through this work, which we'll get into some of the nuts and bolts in a minute, but also you're really doing the inner work to befriend your wholeness and all of these feelings. And so many of them are coined as negative in our society and in our culture, like jealousy and greed and guilt and all those, even anger, all these feelings that are so human. And yet we've decided somehow as a culture that we're going to put these over here as negative and avoid them and there's shame around them. And there's, you know, sort of a hiding of them within ourselves. I love that you're able to be able to go back inside and start to reclaim and recognize and name Mm -hmm. 
and in a way destigmatize some of these very primary human emotions that every single one of us has at times, right? It's amazing. I mean, one of the things that I like to say about this work is it's about rehumanizing ourselves and each other. Yeah. And there's a way that we can really dehumanize. Just as you were saying, we can also dehumanize by, you know, labeling, you know, labels, putting people into big categories of, you know, like Republican, Democrat, conservative, right? Liberal. Um, there's so many labels that can have us like distance ourselves from someone else or from whole groups of people. And when we rehumanize, it's actually about like finding that deeper la layer of what is human and binds us all actually together. So we all have fears. We all, you know, deeply love. We all have core values, you know, and these types of things are actually more similar than they are different. And when we actually can find that within ourselves and then seek that in another human, like incredible connection happens from that place. You know, those connections you have where it's like, you feel so touched, like at the very yeah. core of you, right? That very core of you gets touched and you're touching someone else at that very core. Hmm. You know, that, that's the power of these practices. They can guide us to that place. So instead of sort of hanging out on, on the surface or, you know, these labels or, you know, small talk or, you know, mm, yeah, all the, the sort of how's, what do you do? The weather, you know, these types of things, or maybe not connect with someone at all because we think they're so different from us. Mm -hmm. These tools give us the capacity to actually find the human in all of us. So beautiful. One question I have before we get into some of the deeper principles within authentic relating is, and I know you and I've taught some similar types of communication styles in our work and on retreats together over the years um, when we were co-leading retreats for many years. Um, and this was a question we used to get a lot, but I thought it would be good for the listeners. When we're practicing something like this, this authenticity in our relationships, maybe with that extra little bit of vulnerability, if we're feeling, you know, like we're exposed or we're new to this, or, you know, we're showing up a little bit more fully than usual in the beginnings. And the person we're communicating with doesn't know about authentic relating, doesn't know what it's called, doesn't know about it. We haven't shared it with them. Maybe they're a coworker, or maybe we're, you know, still kind of holding it close before we're ready to share it with someone that we are close with in our lives. Can we do this work with people who don't know what authentic relating is? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I got to say it can be more fun eventually if you find others who want to know about it and, you know, who want to learn also, and then use the practices with you, that can be super, you know, nourishing and delightful, you know, and you can do the practice both within yourself and with anybody that you encounter. The, the principles that we work with are applicable first and foremost to self, right? So just as you were talking about before, it's an internal practice. It all begins with awareness. It's noticing what's happening for you here and now, and then being willing to be revealed in that, 
right? So there's so there's a tool we call Share Impact, which I find like a beautiful tool that you can use with anyone everywhere, right? Sharing impact is what's it like for me to be with you right now? So say you're sharing something like this, this can be especially helpful in relational tensions or, you know, like there's a little bit of trigger or charge in the space um, or really any scenario at all, you know, sharing impact is like, what is my experience actually right now being with you? How does what you're sharing impact me? I had a, um, I have a student who was having a lot of conversations with her family via Marco Polo, a messaging app throughout the pandemic and still is. And her sister would share all of this. Like she was a big anti-vax person. So she'd share all of this sort of like stuff over and over again, you know? And my student was not a big anti-vax person, you know? And instead of arguing with her sister about this, she shared impact. I'm noticing that it feels really hard for me to be with you as you share that. I'm noticing, you know, my heart is kind of racing a lot every time I get a message from you. I'm noticing I really want you to be curious about my own perspective. Like there's all of this present moment noticing that can be shared instead of actually trying to like come back with trying to convince the person of your view or something like this. Yeah. And, and her, and it was so interesting, her sister eventually after several rounds of this decided that she didn't actually want to impact her sister in the way, in that way. And so, so she stopped sharing in that, in that particular way, you know, and then um, it's funny, the, uh, the story goes, her sister eventually took one of our courses. <laughs> she was like, oh, that's what you were doing. <laughs> wow. Profound. Yeah. It does really shift. It really shifts the experience when we are able to track into our own system, first of all, which is like what your student was doing and tell her sister how she was actually feeling in the moment. And I think in my experience, that has been a way for me personally to kind of clear out all of the clutter in a conversation and drop right into the body. My, like when I'm sharing, drop right into my body, be able to check in with myself, notice the sensations, and then use that as a sort of template for what I can share. And it, it was really great with teenagers, actually. When my kids were younger, I remember a few times saying like, Ari saying to me, well, I don't, why do you care so much if the living room and kitchen are clean before we go to bed? And I remember telling him, because in the morning, if I wake up and I walk out of my bedroom and the house is a mess, my entire inner body clenches up. <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, then I'll clean up the kitchen. <laughs> like, you know, like he got it. He got that, like my actual experience was coming from a sense, like not wanting to be feeling clenched at seven o'clock in the morning or whatever. Um, and, you know, those types of conversations, as I'm saying, like, as you were saying too, they can help from whoever we're talking to, wherever they're at, it gives somebody a different level 
of understanding what we're experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the present moment, actually. It's what's happening now because so often our relating is based on what happens in the past or some idea of what might happen in the future, right? Our minds, you know, we're sort of wired and, you know, in terms of survival, actually, to be like learning from our past and to overlay that onto the present. Mm-hmm. But then we're, we're, we're reacting, we're reactive and we're not responsive. And so when we can actually tap into this, mo- this, this present moment, and just like you said, in the body, you know, there's three levels, three main levels. It's like the physical sensations in the body, the emotions, and the thoughts that we're thinking, right? So if we can actually get, become mindful of what those are from that, like witness perspective, right? Like, wow, I'm noticing I am running this story, you know, that you're mad at me or right. Instead of you're mad at me. It's like, what would it be like to notice that I'm actually running a story? I'm creating an assumption right now. I'm, I have some sort of judgment happening. Yeah, That's mine, right? I'm owning it as mine when I'm able to tap into this present moment. So physical sensations, emotions, and noticing our thoughts ground us into this present moment. And then we can pause, you know, slowing down is one of our first principles, like slow down because to notice all of that, actually, we need to like, you know, put on the brakes a little bit. Yeah. Take a moment, take a breath. I mean, it's very resourcing for the nervous system to do this. I had a, we had a, we had a beautiful continuing education call for our faculty and facilitators and training recently with a woman, Susan Campbell, who has done a lot of work around this sort of relating and triggers. And, and she was, she was speaking about how these practices, these principles actually create the security that our nervous systems are always seeking and wanting from connection right? Secure attachment, security comes when we're present Mm. with ourselves and each other. And, and, you know, we're able to make contact from that. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And I think at a very deep visceral level, that's what a lot of us are wanting is that safety and security. So and to feel that for our nervous systems to feel that is so healing. It's so healing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, um, I think it's that, what I said earlier, like co-regulation comes first. Yeah. You know, then we learn how to self-regulate, you know, it's a very important part of our development is self-regulation. And yet first is co-regulation. And so that like being able to be in connection with each other and feel nervous system to nervous system, us creating regulation and safety and support and, you know, connection and being seen and felt and gotten for the, the deeper stuff. You know, so often we're not even aware of what the deeper stuff actually even is. Like we get triggered and it seems to be about the surface layer, but what it really is, is about something much deeper. You know? Yeah. Something in the core of us that wants to be contacted. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So we can, we can have deep like exhales and just moments of feeling so gotten, so connected. And I think you're right. Like we long for that. It seems to be a general human desire 
is to have that type of experience. Yeah. So let's, let's maybe go into a little bit of how this works or the principles you're mentioning or whatever you think would be most helpful for people to kind of leave here with some kind of practice or understanding of like what this actually looks like and what these principles are in guiding us like a little bit of a roadmap forward. Yeah. So I'd love to share the five practices. We call them five practices. Sometimes I interchange that with principles because it's something that you can start doing right now with yourself. And of course, with others as well. But the first one I already mentioned, welcome everything, which is really about making space for whatever is here to be seen and felt instead of kind of pushing it under the rug. I don't want to deal. I don't want to see, I don't want to feel. It's actually like, okay, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be with myself here and whatever this, this is. And then also welcoming others exactly as they are making space for others, however they're showing up. And it doesn't mean like agree, you know, but it does mean, you know, a willingness to see, to feel, to be with. So that conscious choice can be made from there, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. It's all about self-awareness. And then the second one is assume nothing. So we are actually assumption-making machines. We run around making assumptions all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And again, that's kind of based on our primal brain keeping us safe. However, it can really get in the way of our relationships and connections. You know, say my partner walks in the door and, you know, he's got a really sad look on his face. He's a little bit like slumpy, right? He's, you know, and I immediately assume he's, I did something wrong. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden I'm creating some whole story around this in me. And now I'm relating to him from that story and there's disconnection happening, right? So assume nothing is really about noticing our assumptions, noticing if they're in the way of connection and being willing to actually reveal them and bring them into connection and check them out. So instead of just like hiding in the corner of the house, you know, like staying away from my partner, you know, all night long, because I have this story running that he's mad at me, you know, or that I did something wrong. I might go and be like, wow, I'm noticing that I have an assumption happening. Can I check it out with you? I'm noticing I have this story coming up. Can I, can I check in? And then checking it out. And then I get to actually to update my experience with reality. So maybe he is mad at me, right? Maybe there is something I did wrong. And then I get to know that, or maybe he just had a bad day, right? And so then I get to be with him and we actually get closer from that. So that's the assume nothing practice. It's really check out your assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. The third one is reveal your experience. Mm. This is is very powerful because so many of us do want to be seen and known for our authentic truth, for what's really happening for us. You know, that hiding that you talked about earlier, that shame, right? It's like when we keep it all here. And so the revealing is some of the most healing um, parts of this practice that I see and in myself, like just being revealed, being revealed in what's really happening, you know, for me. Mm. 
that's how we um, actually invite others to actually see and know us deeper. And it can be terrifying for some people who have a pattern yeah. of hiding, you know, or people pleasing or not wanting to, you know, rock the boat to actually yeah. bring themselves and reveal what's really here, right? So it's a, it can be a big edge for a lot of folks and um, quite a rewarding one. Yeah. It seems like this one requires more vulnerability so far than the first two, <laughs> you know, where we are having yeah. to be willing to be vulnerable and authentic with what's really going on. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a little bit like a muscle to strengthen, mm -hmm. but also, you know, we all know how vulnerability can feel. It's like scary, but it also can feel so freeing yeah. to show up with that guiding us too, to being able and willing to be seen. Absolutely. And, you know, back to when I spoke about authentic and relating, you know, there's these polarities in these practices. There's several of them. The authentic would be me revealing myself. And the relating would be like checking in to see if that person is actually available for me to share what's here with, for me right now, right? Getting consent, like, oh, you're available for this. Cool. Like, I'm going to share something. And then checking in afterwards, like, what was that like, you know, to hear? So the relational part is like, because sometimes we might just like, you know, and some people are like over revealers maybe, right? And like, it's not so hard for them to reveal. It's like, they just come with everything. And that actually might be hard for people on the other side, right? So being checked in with and having that moment to actually consent, you know, and, and be available for, for someone's share, right? Is a very powerful relational tool. Yeah. Would you say that there's like a phrase that you teach or a way that you frame that for people who are just starting out in a way to kind of get consent? What would you say is kind of your go-to phrase? I don't know if I have a go-to, but what it would be like is revealing that there's something here that you want to share, you want to reveal and checking if the other person is available or open. Like I'm, I'm noticing that there's a lot of vulnerability coming up for me, or there's this, 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 this thing that I'm really in touch with. And I'd really like to share with it, share it with you would now be a good time. Like, are you open to hearing this now, you know, or later or, you know, so the consent yeah. piece has choice gives the other person some choice. Right. Yeah. Which would be different than, you know, when someone's in the middle of doing something and then we might show up and share something really vulnerable, but they're like distracted or not paying attention because they're, you know, sometimes our timing, I think yeah. that when we kind of ask for the space to share, we're definitely creating a higher mm -hmm. potential for deeper connection. Absolutely. And this, this applies just, you know, how many times are you in a conversation where someone just keeps offering you advice, you know, you might share something and then advice, advice, advice. I, I don't know that many people who love that, but, <laughs> but if they check in and it's like, Hey, I, I noticed I want to offer you a little bit of advice. Like, are you open to that? That would be a whole game changer mm -hmm. right? and just coming in. Right. So that relational piece of checking in to see if the other person is available is, yeah. the, is a huge key to this work. Okay. The fourth practice goes hand in hand with the third which is own your experience, own your experience, which 
means that you know it's the invitation to find the source of your experience inside of you first right so it's the opposite of blame it's the um it's empowering it's an empowering practice because if the source of your experience is within you then you have choice around that you have power there's something you can do right yeah so if I'm in a conversation with someone and I'm like, oh, this person is like, this person is so dry. Like, this is so boring, right? I don't like, first of all, not everybody might think that. So that's a very personal experience to me. Mm-hmm. And second of all, if I say, I'm feeling not interested in this, and I'm feeling kind of bored right now, then I can do something about that. Mm-hmm. See, do you feel the difference there? Yeah. So our um, world is full of, you know, you, (laughs) like you make me feel like this, right? Um, The government, you know, does this stuff and that's why, you know, my experience is like this, or um, I mean, it's just, we're just full of it left, right, and center, you know, all over the place. So this idea of owning our experience is to really claim that we have a part to play in every dynamic and to find that first and speak from that place. So owning my experience is speaking from I terms. Mm-hmm. I notice, I feel, I feel sad. I um, have a story that, right? Instead of saying, you're a lousy, you know, mom, right? <laughs> it's like, I could say something like, wow, I'm noticing this really big story that I have about you as a mom, right? Very different. Yeah. To receive something, right? So this is one of the ways that when we communicate, it's more receivable mm-hmm. the other person if we own our experience, especially in trigger, especially in conflict. Oh, for sure. Yep. So it, you know, blame comes really fast, you know, in, in that type of um, sped up nervous system, accelerated trigger space. And, you know, all these practices slow down what's happening here and now. And then speaking from that place owning our experience in a way that really is inarguable because it's coming from my experience. Yeah. And then the fifth practice is honor self and other. And this is um, deep work to find the sweet spot where I'm both honoring myself and honoring the other, you know, and this is a bit of that authentic and relating that relational dance. It's like, I'm going to express my truth and then i'm going to create space for you to express yours i'm going to honor my needs and boundaries and desires in this relationship and i'm going to make space that you might have very different needs boundaries and desires in this relationship and i'm going to be in touch with yours just as much as i'm asking you to be in touch with mine and there's a sweet spot where they overlap right where the the honor self and other piece you know uh, mm-hmm can exist together. And sometimes, you know, that takes a lot of creativity to find that. Especially for example, if some people maybe have differing opinions, like back to your student who was talking with her sister, I would imagine if we have a disagreement on our belief systems or an opinion that's different from someone else or a value that's different from someone else, we can then give each other space to be ourselves and kind of drop the judgment but also still own how we are feeling in the moment and what expression of that we want for ourselves. It sounds sort of 
spacious and healthy and compassionate and empathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I love you bringing that in, you know, about these multiple perspectives, you know, and, and can we stand in our own, can we honor ourselves and give the space for others to have their experience, their perspective. Yeah. It's very, it might be very different from ours. And it can be easy to sort of, again, like dehumanize someone because they're so different or, you know, there's such polarity, but actually if we can create the space to even, you know, find, yeah, like a deeper thread of um, like what does connect us underneath there. Yeah. I feel like that's, that can be incredibly healing for ourselves and others. Absolutely. Thank you for those. Those are all so impactful and really good touchstones for moving forward, you know, with our own ways of relating and showing up authentically with others. I, um, I know you have some exciting trainings coming up and I know people may want to know more and how they can find those. What's, what's the best way to get deeper into this type of practice so that you feel maybe like you've gained some, Mm -hmm. some, um, momentum? Yeah. Yeah. These core principles I think are really helpful in terms of just like, I've had students who'll put them on, like on their fridge, you know, just list them out and, and like they get stuck in, in, you know, an interaction with their partner or, you know, child and they'll like run to the fridge and like, did I welcome everything? Am I making assumptions? You know, have I revealed my own in my experience? How can I honor self and other? So they can be really helpful now there's a lot more and there's, you know, a lot of tools around how to actually do this with each other. And we, you know, we teach these, we teach at this point, four levels of training around this and level one is it's a powerful foundation in this work. I just uh, spent the last two weekends leading trainings, one in Boulder and then flew to Seattle and, and just the way that people get so touched and impacted, you know, I've been hearing these follow-ups, like just how transformational both the weekends are. We also do them online, um, a six-week series, but the in-person, you know, really transformational to be in a group of people, like all deeply learning and embodying these tools and principles and, and practicing them with each other. So I would definitely recommend, you know, one of the, the foundational trainings, the level one authentic relating training. It's called the art of being human. And it really has mm-hmm. this just, a, you know, how do we human together? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we have level two, level three, level four is our facilitator training program. So some people, you know, just fall in love and, and want to, you know, really go deep with this work. We also have um, free community calls. So if somebody wants to check out, you know, check it out, our facilitators and training in our level four program facilitate two free weekly community calls where you can get a taste of the practice and you can look that up at authenticrelating.co, authenticrelating.co. And that's the community calls. Yeah. I mean, that has everything everything on there, but if you go to special offerings, Mm -hmm. um, you'll see Mm -hmm. community calls. Great. I was just going to say, you know, obviously people may want to 
find a website and I can drop that in the show notes um, for people to click on um, when we publish this episode. So that would be great to have some resources for people. Um, I always ask this question at the end of my podcast, which is, and I think it applies so well, and I love hearing people's answers. Um, what does it mean to be satiated to you? Well, first of all, you know how much I love this word and I, love <laughs> I do your use of this word. <laughs> the word itself feels so good. Like when I say it, I hear it. There's some, like, it's that good feeling. It's like full and yummy and fed, like well nourished. Mm. That's what that word feels like to me. And, you know, I think when we're in deep connection, we do feel that way. We feel well nourished. We feel well fed by our people, you know, by this life. We need each other. We absolutely need each other. There's so much isolation, disconnection on our planet. So many people longing, you know, to, yeah. to have the type of nourishment and connection we're talking about here today. And so, yeah, I feel like satiated to be satiated is to be full and whole and, you know, mm. It's like that round belly of love. Mm, beautiful. Dana, I know this conversation is going to spark so much for people and really is such a gift that we could fit this into your very busy traveling schedule where you're teaching all over the place, including I think you're heading to Costa Rica tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so I love that you're able to keep up your traveling um, passion through this work and that you've been all over the world, really like Europe and so many amazing places teaching and leading these trainings. So I'm so glad that you're getting this work out into the world. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to um, share it with us here on the podcast on Satiate today. And it's always so good to see you. Yeah, you too, Sue. Thank you so much for the powerful work that you have been doing for so long. I mean, I've seen you for 15, 20 years now, you know, just um, so dedicated and devoted to this work of really nourishing and bringing people together and the wholeness of um, well-being in so many different ways. So I so deeply appreciate you inviting me onto the podcast today. I'm grateful to be here as always with you. Thanks, honey. Love you. Love <laughs> It is such an honor to spend time with you here on Satiate, and may this conversation be of benefit. From my heart to yours, I wish you health and happiness for the coming season, and may we meet again here very soon. Take good care. <laughs>